Hello everyone, welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and with me today is my co-host, Chad. Wait a second. You're not Chad. No, not quite, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's me, Jeff. I've been on the podcast before not too long ago, if you remember the heavy metal show that we did. Yep, um, we talked about uh, with our good friend Dan from the Radio Free Borderlands podcast. And again, as I mentioned in that episode, uh, I know I've mentioned you previously on the show. Uh, I think I don't remember if I ever addressed you as name by name before, if I just maybe uh, just referred to you as my roommate from college. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't remember. You, you're kind of like my cousin um, who I used to do the Gamers Gambit podcast with. It's like for the longest time, sometimes I would usually mention him when I talked about some of my early experiences with the Nintendo Entertainment System, but I never really addressed and I never really addressed him by name. So it's like when I finally had him on the show for the first time, it's like, so you want to tell people your name or do you want to preserve your anonymity? <laughs> <laughs> but it's too late for you to remain anonymous because we have already mentioned you. So how's it going today, Jeff? Yeah, pretty good. Not too bad. Very snowy here. At about 12 inches last night, so you had a lot of snow blowing to do. So Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, we're pretty lucky up here. I think we had somewhere between about 3 to 4 inches, and it was the light powdery stuff. I have a friend who works in uh, works for a landscape company in the Milwaukee area, and I think they had anywhere from 6 to 10 inches down there, so... Uh, yesterday, I mean, we're recording this on February 1st, so, you know, yesterday, uh, he put in like a 13-hour day, so, yeah, it's one of those things where I think for people who run landscaping-type companies that do snow removal in the winter, it's like, yeah, it's nice when there's some snow because that's extra business for them, but then again, when there's too much, it's like, yeah, you're putting in 12, 13-hour days, and I can see how that gets exhausting. Right. There's no way to spread it out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But <laughs> we are not here to talk about the weather. We are here to talk about something which I'd like to think is far more interesting. And I, I that, would say so. <laughs> yes. And that is Cobra Kai, the series on Netflix. Well, actually, no, it started out as YouTube Red. Yeah, YouTube Red. Yeah. And... Was it 2017 or 18 it started? I want to say it was 2018. And I know I bought YouTube Red specifically for Cobra Kai because they gave you like two episodes for free. And then you had to purchase YouTube Red. And that's why I bought YouTube Red. Well, it's now YouTube Premium, but yeah. And yeah. for me, I'm a little late on the bandwagon. I didn't start getting into it until it came to Netflix. So as we start this episode, let's go back to a simpler time, the glorious 80s. Do you remember the year 1984? I do. I, I definitely do. Yeah, 1984. Yeah, back when we were youngins back then, uh, both of us were nine years old. Right. And of course, 1984 is also a, a good album by the legendary rock band Van Halen. <laughs> and yeah, unfortunately, uh, was it this year yet or was it last year that Eddie died? It was toward the end of 2020, I think okay. either September or October. Yeah, which, you know, sucks because it's like, doesn't that make you feel kind of old? Like, you know, a lot of these actors and musicians that we looked up to as kids are now dying off. It's like, wow, we're getting old. Right. That's the whole thing I am with like bands. Like I'll go out and want to see some of these bands that I haven't seen because you just know they're not going to be around too much longer. So I want to, I have this thing where I have to do that <laughs> and hopefully I'll be able to do more of that soon. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully uh, this year, I mean, I, I'm not, they're still not sure when things are going to start to return closer to normal, but I think they're hoping if enough people get vaccinated against COVID and it doesn't mutate any further that hopefully things will start to get back to normal around late summer, early autumn. But anyway, so back in 1984 is when the first Karate Kid movie came out. And I don't think I ever saw this one in the theater. I probably saw it either, you know, when it came to network TV or maybe I saw it on a VHS tape at a friend's house. 
Now, did you ever see this movie in the theater or home video, or do you remember? Yeah, see, I saw it in the theater, and I could remember when it came out. There was pretty big buzz around it when it came out. A lot of people were seeing it. I could remember when I went back to school in the fall, there were kids talking about how they had seen it over the summer, and that's the only thing they mentioned was the fact that they saw the Karate Kid. So, yeah, there was a bit of a buzz around it at the time. Yeah, and I'm sure that movie also helped popularize karate in the United States because, I mean, when you look at how martial arts were portrayed in popular culture in the U.S., karate did actually have somewhat of a heyday in, like, the 50s, but then through, like, most of the 60s and 70s, it was more towards the kung fu movies, and then the 80s, I think, were was this battle between, like, ninjas and karate so I'm sure there's lots of kids who saw the, this movie and decided they too wanted to become karate kids. Yeah, I even knew people who had seen this and then they wanted to sign up for karate lessons after seeing this movie because, yeah, it was big. And like you said, like in the 70s and also late 70s, you know, you had kind of like the Bruce Lee era coming in. Then in the late 70s, you had Chuck Norris and... Chuck Norris made the Octagon in, I think it was 1980, and that kind of, like, kicked off that whole, like, ninja craze that you had. And then a lot of ninja stuff was coming out. There was, like, Ashida Kim, I think his name was, and he was a guy who was putting out, like, ninja training manuals. So you had a bit of, like, a craze for that kind of thing in the 80s. Oh, definitely. yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And if you read comic books during that era chances are you probably saw something advertised in there for the Black Dragon Fighting Society. Count Dante was his name, John Kean, actually from the Chicago area, probably the most eccentric karate guy of all time. I won't get too much into him because that's not the scope of the video, but yeah, he just, a lot of stories about that guy, you know, started the Dojo Wars he, I guess he was like a voodoo priest. He had a pet lion. He owned car dealerships. He owned uh, martial arts studios. He was a hairdresser at the Playboy Club. Just like all kinds of things. Challenged Muhammad Ali to a fight. And, you know, on and on and on the stories about him. But uh, Yeah, and uh, just if I may take a moment to pitch Jeff's YouTube channel, which we'll give you a chance to talk a little bit about later. But, uh, yeah, he, I know you did a... Uh, in a video where you did talk a bit about Count Dante. Right, yeah, yeah. Certainly one of the more colorful characters in martial arts in, uh, you know, the 70s and so. And then, you know, of course, then in the 90s, then the UFC came and mixed martial arts came along and pretty much uh, put a lot of people like that in their place. But anyways, right. uh, the movie was very successful, well-received, and was followed by a sequel, The Karate Kid 2, in 1986, this one I do remember seeing in the theater, and I actually enjoyed this one. I'd have to say I liked it better than the first. Yeah, this one I didn't see in the theater. This one I had rented. I probably rented it around the time Karate Kid Part 3 came out, because Karate Kid Part 3 was coming out. I'm like, well, I got to see Part 2, and I really liked it as well. I'm not sure. It's just very much a different film from the first. I, it's it hard is. to say which one I think was better but uh i thought they were both strong movies strong plot yeah as i said i enjoyed them both it's just i thought that karate kid 2 had a little bit better story behind it especially since um you know they go they actually go back to okinawa and they you learn a little bit more about mr miyagi's past well uh you mentioned karate kid 3 which came out in 1989 i have not seen this movie um so I'll have to take your word for it as to whether it's a decent movie or not not very good. <laughs> it's kind of either fans love it or they hate it. It's that kind of movie. There's people who think it's the best of the whole franchise, and there's people who think it's a complete dud. So it depends really on who you're talking about. But yeah, it's you know, it goes back to Cobra Kai and all that and deals with Cobra Kai and the founder of Cobra Kai, an individual by the name of Terry Silver, who's this like ruthless businessman who also owns this like toxic waste removal business and 
just all the dealings with him, and he's trying to help Kreese regain Cobra Kai and regain the title so he could bring students back to Cobra Kai. So, yeah, he deals quite a bit, I would say, with the Cobra Kai series, more so than, like, the second one did, for example. And, of course, like any movie franchise that was popular in the the 80s, it got a Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, it was originally envisioned to be a syndicated series, but they only did 13 episodes, so it became a Saturday morning cartoon. So in this one, Daniel and Mr. Miyagi were looking for a stolen item that was supposed to have had healing powers. I remember seeing a little bit of one episode as one of those things where it's like I was flipping through the TV, the channels and I just happened to catch it. And I remember seeing Mr. Miyagi and Daniel doing something. But the 80s were weird in that regard because did you remember they had an after-school cartoon about Rambo called Rambo the Force of Freedom? Yes, yeah, and Chuck Norris, I think, had one yep. too. Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, uh, you, you gotta wonder, especially with the Rambo one, whose idea was it to take a hard R-rated film like Rambo and turn it into Saturday morning cartoons? Yeah. But, well, the, we wouldn't see another Karate Kid movie until 1994 with the next Karate Kid, which... I haven't seen this movie, so I can't say anything about it either. I saw it once when it came out. It was with Hilary Swank, played the Karate Kid. And I don't remember a whole lot about it, just Mr. Miyagi taking on another student. And she, from what I could remember, I think she's experiencing similar situations to what Daniel experienced in the first Karate Kid, from what I can remember. And again, also like any 80s movie series it did spawn various types of merchandise as well um there were action figures for it there were uh you know of course t-shirts and posters and stuff you could get uh there was also there's actually also actually three video games based on the karate kid series uh the one that we probably would remember do you remember the ljn game that they made for the nintendo entertainment system yeah, there was at the 1987 one that came out. Yeah, because it incorporated a little bit of the first movie, but focused mainly on the second. Because in the first part of the game, you had like three or four rounds of like one-on-one, -on -one, which was supposed to be the first movie. So theoretically, you fought Johnny Lawrence in that one. And then, yeah, the most of the game, though, was yeah. focusing on the events of Karate Kid 2. And like the majority of LJN's games for the, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Yeah. <laughs> I remember there was a bonus stage. We had to like break ice and like catch flies with chopsticks. <laughs> In true LJN fashion, it had very colorful graphics, but it the game itself yeah. was not great. I played it a little bit of it once. I wouldn't say it was horrible, but it's definitely not the kind of game I would recommend anyone go out of their way to play. No, and it, I don't think it was worth the $40 that it cost when it originally came out. Yeah. <laughs> See, there was also, a, I know there was a Karate Kid 2 game that was made for the one of the Atari computer systems. There was, there's also a, a Cobra Kai one, which is for the Xbox and, and PlayStation, and I, there's probably a Switch version as well. I haven't played it, but, you know, maybe someday I might check it out. So there was also the remake in 2010, which we don't, I really don't personally count because it's, it's a remake. It has absolutely nothing to do with the current canon. And not only that, it just, it's so radically different. It's all it really shares is the name. Yes, I listened to a podcast with the writers of Cobra Kai and they were talking about that, and they said that, yeah, this is not a, that movie is not a part of the Karate Kid universe at all. You know, it's a completely different movie. And I remember when it came out, people were kind of like, oh, this is going to be awful and terrible. Then they were kind of like, well, it wasn't so bad. Then you never heard anything about it again. <laughs> so, well, it, it had Jackie yeah. Chan in it, so it couldn't yeah. have been that bad. Right, yeah. So this brings us to the current day with Cobra Kai, and... 
The reason I didn't get into it when it first came out is because while I did like the first two Karate Kid movies, I was never a hardcore Karate Kid fan, so I really didn't feel the need to watch it when it was on YouTube. But I think we actually started, my wife and I actually started watching it on New Year's Eve because, you know, of course with COVID, you know, you're not going out anywhere and my wife and I really don't go out for New Year's Eve anymore. So we were just looking for something to binge watch on on Netflix and we started watching Karate Kid. Or I'm sorry, we started watching Cobra Kai. <laughs> yeah, and I know a lot of people kind of share that I, I, opinion where I've heard a lot of people say that uh, they were never really too big into the Karate Kid movies, but they love Cobra Kai. So I've heard a lot of people say that. You know, myself, I... Did like the first two movies, especially, like I said. So uh, when I saw that there was going to be a Cobra Kai and it was going to explore these characters a bit more, have like more depth and texture to them. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I, I got to check this out. Yeah. And I'm glad we did start watching it, not only just because of the all the 80s nostalgia, because, again, one of uh, Johnny's defining characteristics is the fact that he's perpetually stuck in the 80s. Right. Yeah. And that's what I really liked about it, how he was, like, just stuck in the 80s like that. When he gets in his car, which I think is like a Pontiac Firebird, and every time he gets in, there's 80s rock blasting. So I, I really like how they do that. And there's another scene with Miguel where he says uh, something about, like, what music you listen to or go listen to some Guns N' Roses. And Miguel goes, you know, who's Guns N' Roses? And he's like, I'm going to pretend that I didn't hear you say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, this comes into play later in the series, but another thing I like about Johnny is how he's so technologically inept because he doesn't know how to turn the computer on. That he Well, he eventually gets a laptop. He doesn't know how to turn it on. He thinks that it's a dud because it eventually wears out. He didn't realize you had to plug it in. Uh, there's another good scene when he first gets connected to the Internet. One of the first thing he looks up is Hot Babes. And then you see his eyes wide, and then he looks up like wet t-shirt contest. Yeah, it's like that. I thought that scene was hilarious. It was like uh, he looks up hot babes, eighties action films, and conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wasn't there something with like the pyramids and dinosaurs or something? And he was like, I knew it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then also, it's like he thought Facebook because he threw his phone away, which is where he was checking Facebook. And then he's like, what's well, okay? I also have Facebook on my computer. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it definitely has that nostalgia. And I think since because of the age we are, I, I don't know, in some a lot of ways, I kind of relate to Johnny because. You know, not just being, you know, fondly looking back to the 80s, but, you know, when we first meet him at the beginning of the series, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's kind of like suffering from that, what some people call high school quarterback syndrome, when you realize that your best days are behind you and life has kind of passed you by and right now you're just kind of existing and, like I said, what some people call high school quarterback syndrome, the person who, you know, you knew that guy in high school who was, wasn't the star of the team, but he was still a pretty good football player. Maybe he was the captain of the team. You know, that was his life sports or, you know, the football team, whatever. And then he never really moves past that. So when you meet him, you know, at your high school reunion 20 years later, you know, he's still talking about, hey, dude, remember that time I scored that game-winning point right. against the Cougars? <laughs> yeah, kind of an Al Bundy type. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, like I said, I I do agree with you. It is nice with the series because we can see character development that we can't really see in a 90-minute or so movie. Uh, because, again, in a situation like with the movies we're focusing mostly on Daniel-san and his relationship with Mr. Miyagi. And in those movies, you know, Johnny is pretty much just there to be a rival towards Daniel. We don't get to learn much about his family life and, you know, what what caused him to become the person he did. Right, and I kind of, I guess I just kind of made assumptions 
you know, back in the 80s, you were just kind of, there's a lot of assumption making about different things. And that's kind of what I did. Like, I kind of assumed, okay, maybe he had some sort of a tough upbringing, but, you know, you're not given any of the details. I just kind of assumed that that might have been the case. You you recommend on YouTube, there's videos to check out where there's people who've made their various videos about how, you know, when we look back, well, back then we were supposed to see Daniel as the hero, but we look back and it's like, he was kind of a jerk and he was actually kind of the bully in some cases. One thing that I always kind of thought too, to me, it's not kind of like so much the classic archetypal bully situation of the big kid picking on the little kid. It's more of a love triangle. It's yeah. more of like a love triangle kind of situation than the other sort of thing. And there are some moments where I would say Daniel does do some things to kind of escalate the situation a bit. So in, at the start of season one, Johnny is a down-on-his-luck handyman, and Daniel is the owner of a successful car dealership. Again, we get to learn a little bit more about Johnny's childhood and his relationship with his stepdad, which he find out that his stepdad was very wealthy, but he really didn't want anything to do with Johnny. So when he started studying karate, it was like John Kreese became his father figure, and that became more his new family. So the turning point for the Johnny's life at this time is when he witnesses his neighbor Miguel being bullied. Johnny decides to defend him, and Miguel asks him to teach him karate. So Johnny reestablishes Karate Kai. We find out he has a son named Robbie, and despite Daniel's attempts to undermine Johnny, he does manage to attract students. And again, of course, Daniel is not happy about the fact that Cobra Kai is trying to come back. Daniel does eventually attract Robbie as a student and also works for him at his car dealership. Uh, at this point, though, he's unaware of his background. At near the end of the series, you know, Johnny's attracted some students. They've gone through their different changes. And Johnny is trying to get Cobra Kai in the All-Valley Karate Tournament. And again, this fits in with the whole Daniel is the bully mentality because he comes in to try to prevent it, but the committee decides they're going to allow Cobra Kai to enter the tournament, which Miguel ends up winning. And then at the final end of the series, we find out that John Kreese is alive and returns. So what are some of your thoughts on season one? I really liked it a lot of all three seasons that have aired so far, it is without a doubt my favorite. I, I really enjoyed the whole thing. Just the whole, just what we already talked about, you know, how it's funny in parts and just the fact that, you know, you're exploring certain aspects of these characters that you just were unaware of, that you just really couldn't explore in, you know, the first movie. So that I really like that about it. Exactly. And I like how it portrays Johnny in a much more sympathetic light, because again, we, we realize that even though he was from a wealthy family, his childhood was not all roses and sunshine like you might expect. And again, while he is trying to establish, reestablish Cobra Kai, he's trying to, he's saying that he's not, it's not going to be the same Cobra Kai that was under John Kreese. You know, it's going to be a new Cobra Kai. And that's something that we see throughout the series where he does try to distance himself from that part of his life. So we really see a lot of growth in him, not just in the first season, but through the entire series so far. Right. You definitely do in this season. He's not going to be like how, you know, Kreese was at all. You know, he's going to take Cobra Kai in a different direction. You know, it's going to be more his thing. Yeah, and one of my favorite parts in the first season is when Miguel's finally had enough with, uh, what's his name, Kyler, the, the guys that were bullying him, and he beats up a bunch of them at lunch, and of course everyone's recording it on their cell phones, and the video ends up making it to YouTube. So I definitely see that as very realistic considering today's <laughs> today's society. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You never know what's going to end up on YouTube. <laughs> yep, exactly. So in season two, again, we have Johnny has, you know, met up with uh, Trees again. 
any doubts as to whether he really wants to follow in those footsteps or not. But even though he has his hesitations, he decides to allow Kreese to teach with him at the dojo. Daniel starts to doubt himself as well, and he's hoping that he can fill Mr. Miyagi's shoes and follow his footsteps. So both of them do try to attract more students. Again, they do their uh, they do their online uh, commercials on YouTube, and they each put on a demo at a local fair, which you know is something that karate and martial arts studios do try to do sometimes. Because uh, I know I've been to a couple where I've seen local karate studios put on demos, and I used to be in a highly commercialized martial arts school which I might talk about a little bit later. But yeah, there was a one event we did as a demo for the Boys and Girls Club. And, you know, that's where you usually do things like you try to show off, you know, hey, this is how cool martial arts is. And right. you know, let's watch our students do all these cool kicks and, and uh, you know, board breaking stuff. Which it's And it's just interesting, their approaches, because, again, Daniels was trying to, you know, he only had his two students at the time, Robbie and his daughter Samantha and they were trying to do this you know choreographed peaceful demo trying to focus on Miyagi-Do and karate as being this you know the discipline and then of course Cobra Kai comes in and steals the show right I think Miyagi-Do from what I understand was kind of like more defensive rather than offensive so I think that there was something like the best defense is a real strong offense. I think that was more yep. Cobra Kai's thing. But Miyagi-Do was more like defensive kind of maneuvers, um, you know, blocks and stuff, the wax on, wax off that you have from the first one, you know, that kind of. Yep. And eventually we find out that Kreese is actually living in a homeless shelter. Well, and then, again, Johnny becomes a little bit more understanding of Kreese at this point, but... Unfortunately, the tensions start to escalate between Johnny and Daniel's students. So we kind of had that whole dojo wars thing going on again. And part of the problem is because Kreese is beginning to exert more influence over his over Johnny's students as he's trying to take over Cobra Kai. Well, one of my favorite parts of this this season, though, is when Johnny reunites with some of his old Cobra Kai's buddies and they take that road trip where, unfortunately, one of them, Tommy dies in his sleep during the trip now didn't that actor really die for real or i thought i had read something where yes he had passed away yeah yeah he had died of organ failure uh sometime after a few months after the you know his scenes were filmed so yeah it's kind of sad and okay. kind of scary that yeah yeah his he's playing this character that's suffering from cancer and and then the guy playing him dies a few months later so yeah that was freaky yeah but I mean, in a way, it's it was interesting to see them. It's like you have all these middle-aged guys. You find out one of them is a pastor, uh, you know, and the others have had their issues and stuff. But, yeah, they they go out on this road trip, and they get in a good old-fashioned bar brawl, and then they go camping, and said, unfortunately, that's when Tommy dies. So what's weird, though, is even though Tommy dies, we still feel kind of happy for him because he didn't die in a hospital room somewhere you know he died out camping with his friends doing stuff he enjoyed right yeah that that that's true meanwhile crease takes the students on his own type of training trip and this further drives a wedge between johnny and crease also during this season uh johnny is trying to reconnect with his old high school sweetheart Allie. the series ends with a big brawl at the school in which both uh, members of Cobra Kai and Miyagi-Do engage in this big fight. And of course, again, people are sitting there with their, uh, you know, their, their camera phones recording everything. And it takes a sad turn at the end, though, when Robbie kicks Miguel off of a balcony. So he has a nasty fall and he ends up going in a coma. Kreese takes over Cobra Kai and Daniel's wife wants him to stop teaching karate because he thinks that it's causing this, these kids to become aggressive. So your thoughts on season two? I liked the first half of season two the most. It still dealt with Johnny Lawrence and, you know, him being stuck in the 80s. I felt like as the series went on, there was less and less of that. 
there was less of that nostalgia 80s guy, you know, that you had in the beginning. So I thought that was kind of diminishing as it went on. But uh, the second half, I didn't like as much. I did find that brawl at the end to be a little redundant. Uh, that That's my opinion on it. I thought it kind of went on a little too long. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is a really nice school. Look how nice this school <laughs> looks. And, like, you know, and all these kids are just fighting each other. And, you know, there's no teachers running out to break it up or, you know, anything like that. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 like I said, I just thought it maybe went on a little too long because you can drag out a fight scene too long and it will get kind of redundant if you do that. Yeah, and and a lot of people tell you that those long drawn out fight scenes are not realistic. Back when we were in college, there were um a couple Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys that I would work out with um every now and then and I know one of the guys was saying, "Yeah, generally when you know, in a real fight, chances are it's going to go to the ground, so you're not going to have these you know, fights where people are doing punches and spinning kicks and stuff like that. And most real fights are over in probably 30 seconds or less. Right. And and I, I mean, I know the fight scenes in particularly this last big brawl, not very realistic, but then again, we also, of course, this is a TV show, so they have to keep it exciting and keep it interesting. Yeah. You have to keep it exciting and have, you know, a lot of flashy jumping spin kicks because yeah, that looks great on camera, that, that stuff. And, you know, that they had a lot of it. And I know from what I had read that the actors and actresses in the uh, series did a lot of you know training and were really eager to learn karate. They were eager to learn this. Also, what's worth noting, I mean, I didn't I should mention this when we we're talking about season one. One of the things that surprised me is how they OK, these are kids and they're I mean, you I haven't really been to any karate tournaments, but. When I, from what I understand, uh, usually even with the adults, you're wearing pads. You know, it's not like you're just going in there with your fists and bare feet because you have a greater chance of hurting someone. You know, even if you're doing just point uh, fighting like they do in the movies here. Also, what was weird is how it didn't seem they had any weight classes because they had that. I don't remember the kid's name, the the shorter kid with glasses. Actually, I think there's a couple of younger kids with glasses, but. They had one of them who looked like he was maybe 70 pounds soaking wet, fighting someone who was obviously older, bigger, and stronger than him. Right. Which, again, I understand this is just a TV series. They got to keep it interesting. I also think, didn't they have one of the girls fight a boy in the tournament? Right. They had that one girl. I forgot her name. I don't think she was in season three. No, she I think wasn't. there was something where she didn't want to do it or for whatever reason she wasn't in it. But yeah, I believe she did fight a boy in the tournament. Yeah, which is weird because as far as I know from mainstream karate tournaments and martial arts tournaments, it's usually based, you know, it's usually gendered where there's a division for males and a division for females. I'm not sure what they do with uh if they divide up people by classes, like their belt levels or weight classes, like I said, I've never been to or fought in a karate tournament, so I wouldn't know. But I thought it was a real downer way to end season two. Right. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, you did kind of, again, it did leave you kind of wondering what would happen next. Um, I kind of like the way season one ended where Kreese kind of shows up. And then you're like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, I really like the way that ended is you're like, oh, they're bringing him back. I didn't know if they were going to, but they are, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Moving on to season three, this one is probably my favorite season so far. So after the events of season two, the All Valley Karate Tournament is canceled as the townsfolk start to take a dim view of martial arts because they believe it's turning these kids violent. And the, for the first, like, I think, couple episodes, Miguel is in a coma. And I'd have to say this is probably one of the more powerful parts of this season where he he's in this coma, but he's having this, like, dream of himself fighting an opponent. So it's almost like he's trying, in his mind, he's trying to snap out of this coma, but he can't do it until he defeats this opponent. 
So Johnny does come to try to visit Miguel and tries to talk him, you know, talk him back out of this coma. Again, we also find out that Robbie has fled and he stole one of the vans from uh, Daniel's dealership. So Johnny and Daniel try to hunt him down. And this is probably my favorite part of the third season because for me, it almost had like a buddy cop vibe to it. Right. Yeah, I remember that that part. It definitely did. Yeah, I, I like that part as well. And, you know, you get to see the thing you're always kind of wondering about that, you know, Daniel and Johnny, had they been inter- properly introduced to one another, they probably could have been good friends. They never had that proper introduction. The whole series is kind of like, you know, the movies and the series is kind of like the drama the drama that's created as the result of miscommunication. That's exactly. a lot of what kind of happens throughout the whole series, yeah, the whole franchise. That is true. And actually I found, that's one of the things I did find a little annoying, annoying about this series. And the only thing I really don't like about Cobra Kai. Now, of course, as the audience, we understand why there's misunderstandings, but yeah, how it's like Johnny and, Daniel's relationship is like a roller coaster where it goes up where they they reach like a level of mutual respect and understanding and then something happens that again we as the audience know is a misunderstanding and it goes right back down and they start fighting again but yeah I really liked this part especially the car chase which was done to the tune of Motley Crue's kickstart my heart oh yeah. That was awesome. So they track the van down to a chop shop, but Robbie isn't there. Eventually, uh, they uh, Miguel does come out of his coma, but he has a falling out with Johnny because, again, Johnny was, and this is what I like about Johnny. He was trying to say that, you know, to uh, Miguel that the reason he's so hard on him is because he wants Miguel to learn from his mistakes, to be better than he was and not fall into some of the same traps. And, you know, again, that's why he's trying to teach him that, you know, he was never taught the difference between honor and mercy and how, you know, he tried to encourage Miguel to show that, and he did, and he ended up paying a very steep price for it. Right, yeah. So also during the season, uh, we find out that Miguel's car dealership is in jeopardy. Uh, Robbie's eventually caught and sent to uh, juvenile detention, which after a visit from Crease, he starts to become more aggressive. But this is another one of the parts of the season that I enjoyed, and that's when Daniel takes the trip to Japan in an effort to save his company. And I thought it was cool how they brought back some of the characters from Karate Kid Part 2. Without a doubt, that was my favorite part of the third season was yes. that they re-explored that again. And he goes back to Miyagi's village and it's all built up now. And it's got like stores everywhere and kind of like a strip mall sort of thing and restaurants. So, you know, before it was this like, I don't know if it was like a, like a small, like fishing village. And now it's like really heavily built up. Yeah. He does manage to meet into, I forgot her name, but it was the girl that he had kind of that love interest thing going with. Yeah. And they, he even met up with the, uh, with that girl that he saved during right. the typhoon. Yeah, think, was her name, was it like Kamiko or something? Yeah, something that's it. Like, I think, yeah. I think that's the girl that the dancer that he had the romantic attachments to. So also, uh, he meets up with chosen again, where at first, he wasn't sure if he was there to talk or if he was going to try to fight because he was being very cold and distant. So that's when he takes him back to this dojo and he finds out that Miyagi-Do did once incorporate more aggressive techniques, including ones that were meant to incapacitate an attacker's limbs. Another one of my favorite parts of this season is when Chosen and Daniels have that fight. And, you know, he... Uh, Chosen uses those techniques to incapacitate Daniel's, you know, arms and legs. And we see a flashback to the first one where, you know, he's about to kill, you know, he, he defeats Chosen and he's like holding him up by his head. He's like, live or die, man. And he's like, die. He's like, wrong answer. And he like tweaks his nose. Yeah. And I, I remember that. And 
just that whole scene, I was like wondering what was going to happen because it was a very intense scene. It's like kind of like a sparring match, but then you're kind of like, oh, wait, this is getting kind of serious. You know, what's going on here? What's going to happen? And then you see that he knows he's like pressure point techniques. And then, you know, he like, you know, he can't move his arm. Daniel can't move his arms. And there's really, you know, nothing he could do. But, you know, that Chozan is kind of changed and he's not not as vengeful, I think, as he used to be. <laughs> he's kind of come around, you know. So uh, and plus, he probably respects Daniel a lot for what happened in the first Karate Kid. There's a sense of or the second Karate Kid movie. There's yeah. a sense of that. Yeah, that he, you know, he's holding Daniel's head back and he's Daniel sitting there helpless. And he's like, he does, you know, he goes, he's like, he's going to strike him. Then he honks his nose and he's like, you have no idea how long I've waited to do that. You should have seen the look on your face. Yeah. (laughs) But meanwhile, back in the States, Kreese is attracting more students. Most of them picked for being extremely aggressive. Uh, Johnny also starts to try to help Miguel with his rehab using, let's just say, some less than gentle techniques. Right. Yeah, trying to get him to walk again. And yeah. He also takes him to a D. Snyder concert where he's healed by the power of rock and roll. Well, Brad, I forgot about that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. he, uh, I thought it was interesting because, yeah, he takes him there and it's like, you know, he's rocking out to the music and he notices his feet are starting to move again. So right. and this was another one of those powerful scenes, I think, is when they show Miguel and uh, Johnny walking up to the dumpster with the wheelchair and the crutches and throwing them out. Yeah. Well, by this time, Crease uh, has pretty much taken over the dojo. So Johnny splits off to form his own style called Eagle Fang as... Well, of course, eagles don't have fangs, but it's because the eagle is the only type of bird that can supposedly kill a cobra. So now we have three dojos. We have the Miyagi-Do, we've got Cobra Kai, and Eagle Fang. And the all three of the senseis go to a town council meeting as they try to convince them to bring back the all, the All-Valley Karate Tournament. And this is where Sam and Miguel make their speech, and they get him to agree to allow it to commence... Uh, we fast forward to Christmas where Allie's back in town and he goes to a party with Johnny where they meet up with Daniel. And thanks to Allie, we finally see Johnny and Daniel reconcile where they're agreeing that they're going to put their, you know, their disagreements from the past behind them. Meanwhile, Cobra Kai attacks both Eagle Fang and Miyagi Do as they're having a meeting at Daniel's house and we get another big brawl. And during the fight, Hawk finally realizes what Johnny was warning him about with Kreese and that he's been manipulating them. So he turns against Cobra Kai, rescues Dimitri, and eventually the Cobra Kai is forced to retreat. And this is another good scene in this season. And this is why I love third season so much is when Daniel and Johnny both go to confront Kreese and, and Robbie. Right, yeah, and another thing, speaking of Crease, that I also did like a lot about this season is they actually do dive into some of Crease's backstory, like, you know, his time in Vietnam, to kind of get into how he was the way he was, you know, to kind of explore that a bit. There's the part where he's like a uh, busboy, I think, back in the 60s in like a diner, and there's a guy who's kind of like bullying them or I forgot the situation exactly. I think there was a girl but, uh, out back that there was a girl out back that these two guys were bullying. Oh, right. That's it. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of see that his intentions ultimately were good. And then I guess one of the guys that was the bully was actually the son of the actor, uh, Martin Cove, from what I understand, the guy okay. who plays Chris, but, uh, yeah, anyways, did explore him more. It gets into, you know, his experiences on in Vietnam. And I didn't realize this when I first watched it, but one of the characters in the Vietnam scene is the character Terry Silver, who is important in, you know, the third Karate Kid movie and probably will make an appearance in the fourth season, I'm assuming. 
you know. Yeah. yeah, I'm assuming too, and I think it would actually be good because again, we have characters from one and two coming back, so it would certainly nicely wrap things up if Terry does make an appearance. But yeah, I do like that too, and that's one of the reasons I like the series is because, you know, again, we do get more information on the backgrounds of these characters. So we find out that there's a reason why Kreese is so aggressive. We find out about when he was in Vietnam, they were captured and they had to fight on this over this pit of snakes. And he had to fight his commanding officer. And he ends up, you know, of course, defeating him and, and killing him. Actually, I think, right. And uh, I think Terry Silver kind of thanked Kreese for saving his life because I think they wanted Terry Silver to fight that commanding officer yes and he didn't want to because he felt he would lose yep and then crease agreed to do it yeah. so as the series ends we have uh crease confronting you know johnny and daniel and they agree that they're going to settle this in the tournament where if crease loses he's going to stop teaching and this again this is just another reason why i love season three so much at the end we see Johnny and Daniel's students starting to train together at the Miyagi do Dojo. And we see finally Johnny and Daniel tr finally tr respecting each other and treating each other as equals. So what would you like to see happen in season four? I was thinking about that. You know, I was thinking about what might happen. Obviously, like I said, I think they're going to bring back that, you know, Terry Silver, Kreese was making a phone call at the end, and you kind of assume that Kreese is probably calling this Terry Silver character. And kind of, it's almost like if Kreese is Darth Vader, Terry Silver's the Emperor, you know. <laughs> yeah. it, it's almost kind of like that. So, you, you know, what I think, this is kind of what I think is going to happen. I don't, I don't know if it will or not, but I think... Um, Terry Silver's going to come back. He's going to be really terrible and do some real terrible things. And then kind of like Darth Vader, Kreese is going to step in and stop Terry Silver. And then they'll all kind of unite at the end. That's what I think. Like he'll come yeah. around. I don't think that's going to happen. It would be interesting. But what I would like to see is a fight between kind of like a tag team match with uh Johnny and Daniel fighting Kreese and, and and Terry. So I think that would be an interesting way. And I hope that Kreese finally gets bitten by one of his Cobras. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, Martin Cove did a really good job of playing Kreese and even said, I guess, uh, that, you know, no matter what, even in the first Karate Kid movie, if his students win, you know, he, he's still kind of mad. If they lose, he's mad. It's like he's always kind of in the state of being angry, No, you know, no matter what, no matter what happens. And I know Martin Cove was talking about that. That's how he wanted to portray that character. And I wonder what they're going to do with Robbie, um, because, again, we know now that, oh, I, I probably should have mentioned this at the start of the episode. Spoiler! But <laughs> <laughs> right. I was going to ask you if we were going to have spoilers or not. But <laughs> I could in post production, I could always go back and edit us something in. You know, warning: <laughs> this episode is contains spoilers. Yeah, because I mean it is kind of new. I always kind of thought that if something is over three years old, you don't need to say spoiler alert. That <laughs> is true. Well, so, wait a second, Jeff. We may have ruined the uh, 1984 Karate Kid movie for someone out there. <laughs> yeah. <I don't>... <laughs> someone but, hasn't seen it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I... but yeah, to get back on track here. So um, I wonder what they're going to do with Robbie. It would be nice if they see him reconcile with his dad, which I think that's probably what they're going to do because people like happy endings. I don't foresee them having Robbie's life go any further downhill because uh, another good YouTube video I saw was talking about how Robbie never stood a chance. You know, there was, he was, it was inevitable that he would have to go down the paths he did because, you know, Johnny was never there for that, for him. 
His mother wasn't always there for him. He never really had any positive influences in his life. And, you know, he has all this anger built up. And then finally, Kreese comes along and tells him that, yeah, you know, go ahead and release all your anger. Right. Yeah. Kind of similar to Johnny Lawrence's personal experience in a way. You know, Kreese coming along back in, I think it was like 1979 when he started with Kreese, the Cobra Kai. Yeah. So both Jeff and I have experience in martial arts. Uh, for a little bit in college, we practiced Escrima, which is Filipino stick fighting together. Um, I've talked about my martial arts background before um, on the show. I have some experience in karate, some in kung fu. And Jeff, your primary experience with martial arts, uh, you studied judo for a while. Yes. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. This kind of goes back could almost connect this to the Karate Kid in a way, too, because when I started, it was in 1984, kind of around the time the first Karate Kid movie came out. And I just remember people were talking about, you know, do you want to go into a tournament? Do you want to be in a tournament? And I said, yes, yes. Then shortly after I was saying yes, I went and I saw Karate Kid. And, you know, I saw the way the tournament was, like you said earlier with you know, how, how rough and kind of brutal it was. So I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't think I want to do that. So I, I didn't actually go into a tournament for a number of years. So it had been a while before I did. Oh, you but, did? You, yeah. I didn't know you did any, uh, I didn't know that you've been in judo tournaments. Yeah, I, I, w I was in a few. Yeah. How did you do? Uh, I think uh, I had gotten a uh, bronze and uh, hold on, I have like a, uh, it it is kind of falling apart, but I do have a uh, a nine. <laughs> I have a uh, 1986. Oh, dude, that is falling apart. <laughs> but it's, it's from 1986. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, you were uh, what third degree brown belt. Yes. Yeah. So how close is that to black belt? Were you just like a few steps away, or was it still yeah, ways it yet? Relatively close. There was something where uh, I think the sensei that i had said that i could probably get you to black belt relatively quickly and at that time whatever reason i didn't pursue it kind of wish i had because i don't think i was too far away at the time yeah i said i remember you mentioning when uh in college that you were you know you did judo for a while but i didn't know you actually went to any tournaments so you've been in more tournaments than i have that's for sure <laughs> So for your judo sensei, if you had to compare him to one of the three people in the in the in the series here, Johnny, Daniel, or Crease, uh, who would you say he was most similar to? Well, when I took it, there was uh, the uh, sensei, the instructor who taught it, but there are also some like co-instructors that were real high-ranking black belts that had done judo in Japan and they reminded me a lot of like Mr. Miyagi, these guys, they had done it like their whole lives. And I don't think they were really competitive with it. It was just kind of more of a lifestyle for them. They had just done it many years. And there was, I remember uh, Tom Watanabe who I remember you had a encyclopedia of martial arts that you oh, yeah. had tom watanabe is actually mentioned in that when they talk about the uptown dojo for judo which at, which i never went to but my dad did and at one point in time it was one of the better judo dojos on the uh you know western or eastern part of the mississippi river so cool yeah because for me i'd have to say i've I've never had an instructor that I would say was like Crease. I would have to say that my Kung Fu instructor was maybe kind of like Crease Light. He he was very no-nonsense. Now, we didn't do really a lot of sparring, but he was very, you know, he was like, okay, Mark, these skills are meant to fight and to hurt people. But, of course, he didn't. You know, he didn't really, uh, you know, encourage us to go out and try to pick fights. Uh, my first karate instructor when I started with Tang Soo Do was probably more along the lines of Johnny. Um, 
you know, Johnny Lawrence. Uh, the most recent martial art, which I studied for a bit, Kung Nu, which unfortunately I had to stop because my knee got screwed up and then my I had some other expenses come up. But honestly, I would have to say that my sensei for that style, she was the mid-ground between Johnny and Daniel. Because like Daniel, you know, there was a lot of emphasis on forms and traditions. But like in Cobra Kai, in, in Johnny's Cobra Kai anyway, we did do a lot of sparring. Um, and I mentioned before that I used to be in a highly commercialized school, which would probably have been similar to more like the Daniel style, except not as good. Because, um, of course, one of the things that you always have to watch out for with the com heavily commercialized schools, specifically... Well, you've probably heard the term McDojo or Black Belt Factory. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, when I used to do casual martial artist uh, with my friend Marcus, we talked about, uh, we talked. I talked a little bit about my experience with that type of a dojo. Um, so yeah, they're, you got to watch out for them because they're more interested in teaching you how to do pretty techniques as opposed to actually fight and actually learn how to defend yourself which I understand isn't as much of a problem in judo because they don't have forms, so it is more hands-on. Right. Yeah, and I know in the Chicago area, there was someone back, I want to say late 80s, early 90s, who, who was kind of famous. He was running, I forgot the name of it. He called it something like Mu Kin Kwan or something. I forgot the name exactly, but... uh yeah, he had kind of like a number of these like Mick Dojo type things. He was trying to really extract a lot of money out of people and offering to, you know, get people to black belt, but they had to pay on $25,000. And there there was, you know, abusing it like that. And he also claimed to have like a title that no one could verify called Master of Asia, which you know, that's, that sounds like a, that sounds like a title. That sounds like a title Fungus Khan would have. Yeah. So, yeah. It sounds like yeah, something Genghis Khan would have. Yeah. yeah, and it's, I know it's definitely something you got to watch out for if you are, you know, for the listeners, if you are ever interested in getting involved in martial arts. Yeah, you definitely got to watch out for uh, the McDojos and Black Belt Factories because as one friend of mine always used to say, they're not teaching you karate. They're selling you that black belt. And, you know, a lot of times what they'll do, it's it's like I said, the place I went that was very commercialized. It's like instead of having like one, you know, you'd start out with your white belt and then you got like a, then there was like yellow belt. And then like, you know, you had to do through like three different ranks of yellow and then you got to yellow orange and you had to do three ranks of yellow orange. And then you moved up to like orange and, you know, so it was like they had the half color belts because it's all about keeping you trying to advance through these belts as long as possible. So, but I think this is a good place to end it. And uh, as I mentioned before, you do have a YouTube channel where I know you've talked about the, uh, you've talked about the, you know, Count Dante. Uh, there was an episode I know you that you, you did about, um, I think it's actually a two-parter. You talked a bit about Bruce Lee. Right, yes. And so if if people want to look up your YouTube channel and maybe check out some of those videos, where can they find you? You can find it at Corm1000, C-O-R-M-1000. And why is it called Corm? I think because I was reading a lot of Conan novels at the time, and his guy is called Crom. So I just kind of altered it a little. So that's the reasoning for that. <laughs> In case anyone wants to know. <laughs> I thought you were going to call it Corn 1000, but you accidentally <laughs> misspelled. Just kidding. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for joining us, everyone. And until next time, have a wonderful day. And again, thank you for tuning in. You have been listening to a presentation of Eclectic Media Podcasts. Visit our website at www.eclecticmediaproject.com and check out our publishing arm at 
www.poigamestudio.com. Find us on Twitter, Scott at EMP underscore Scott, Al at POI Game Studio, and Chad at Chad EMP. You can also find Eclectic Media Project and Point of Insanity Game Studio on Facebook as well. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to bringing you more entertaining and thought-provoking content.